If you take summer seriously or playfully, hit summerguide.co.za. Live a little. It's 702 Summer. I cannot tell you. I mean, Anna Trapida is gracing us with her presence. I'm like, it's, it doesn't happen often, Anna. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Anna Trapido is in studio today and uh, she's here to talk about all sorts of wonderful things. But Anna, you're in town. You're, as in, you are not away. You choose to be in this part of the world at this time of the year. Yeah, look, although in this last week it has been so hot. hot. That I mean, we've all just sort of been lying with iced yes. water. And oh my gosh! And in your part of the world, it's extremely as hot, hot as hell. Mm. Um, that, um, but even so, yes, I went away uh, sort of late November and um, played at the beach and did all of those sorts of things. And I think at this time of year. It's a nightmare to be in holiday, holiday, even without the kind of yes. kind of Clifton stuff. <laughs> the, um, you know, who would want to kind of brave that? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! So I've been doing a bit of a an informal survey. I'm not quite getting it, but I'll get to it. I'll get, I'll get it. You speak a lot with farmers, with people who grow organic stuff, with people who grow all kinds of wonderful things, small and big. Am I am I the only one who's who's thinking there's a a bit of a drought, or or is it true? I I think we've got a problem, and I I'm just I don't quite understand why no one's saying anything. But I think we've got a problem. Do we have a problem? Look, m- my impression uh, is you know in general the world is just getting hotter and hotter. I was in Milan um, about three months ago, and I thought before I went, I know what Italy in the summer is like. Um, and I thought, well, this is actually the end of summer. This ought to be autumn. Mm-hmm. So I packed all my sort of autumn clothes. It was as hot as hell. Really? It was as hot in, in Milan as it's been this last week. So I think that climate change in, is thing, in general, is climate change is just here. But I think particularly this year, um, it has been enormously hot and dry, yeah. um, that the rains haven't come when people were expecting them, mm. that... The, what's interested me is that the farmers who have been okay, who are not looking stressed, are the ones who are growing heritage crops and indigenous crops. So, like your um, so, for instance, sorghum. the Tapane ladies, so, the yeah. your Sechong people. Yes, um, and God, that tea is so good that if people haven't tried it, wow. they really they're at the Bryanston gotta Market get it, gotta get it. and they're at the Rosebank Market. What kind of flavors are they? It is Anna? just magnificent. That you know, it, it's they do two. The one is Tepane mm-hmm. and the other is Dia. And the Tepane is very easily accessible. It's almost a bit rooibosy. It's sort of honeyed and floral and just the moment you taste it you think, "Oh, this is just beautiful." Mm. That um is it a calming type taste? It's it's a it's a sort of gently sweet, um, gently mm. aromatic, calming mm. taste. Okay. Dia, which um, has a much more sort of invigorating, it's much more like a ginger tea in mm. its kind of wake up. And Dia was always traditionally used by traditional healers and, and is more intense. Mm. Um, but as a sort of entry into those Sechong teas, the Tepane one is just, apart from anything else, you think, oh, iced tea, oh, cocktails, mm. oh, I could make this into sorbet. It's just so... Oh. The people working with indigenous ingredients are, are looking, winning. Are looking very chilled. I mean, you heard Mrs. Pashla. She no, doesn't sound stressed at all. No, she, <laughs> you know? but but then that leads me to the next question. As we were going to be talking about 
food trends mm, going mm. into the future. Is the reason why African food is becoming so popular is because the African crop is so resilient? Well, you know, I think the trouble with food trends is that some sort of hipster, fashionista person, um, almost invariably somewhere where the rest of us don't live, um, you know, they make these sort of arbitrary things. This season, um, kimchi is fashionable. Next season, we all have to start cooking over coals. And they just sort of make up these lists partly to kind of fill column inches. I'm now convinced that the trends are determined by Instagram. Well, more and more they are determined by Instagram. And the trouble is, is that pretty is not necessarily the same as delicious. Yes. But sometimes <laughs> the two overlap. Yes. But like, exactly. Tar. Deactivated charcoal ice and cream tar. was not a good idea. <laughs> that no matter how many people told us last year that turmeric lattes were the way to go, they are disgusting. <laughs> you know, that, that so... But they look so pretty in the picture. Yes. So, I mean, increasingly... Instagram in general is changing the way people cook. Yep. Um, and not necessarily for the better because all sorts of things that taste delicious don't look good. Like, for instance, sauces are not that pretty, mm. um, but they are completely delicious. But um, Necessary sometimes. Yes, mm. that you notice that chefs on the whole don't any longer send food out hot. Mm. You think, well, th- th- what happened here? And it's because they know people are going to faff around at the table taking its picture. Why bother to send it out at the right, I, right I, temperature? I had, I think, an epiphany the other day where I couldn't believe the, uh, the number of people who asked for, number one, the, the ro- I thought the role of a waiter has completely changed. Mm. And I think we need to tip now for yeah. photographs. I, I couldn't tell you how many people who were at a restaurant stopped and said to the waiter, please take a picture of us. Take a pic- Could you please, please do it again and mm. again and again? Mm. And it, it, it literally took five or six minutes off time yeah. from what they were essentially there to do to take photographs. I couldn't believe my eyes. And I thought, do we even tip mm. people? For, mm, for that, mm. to, have we considered what it means for their jobs? Well, in a way, if that's become the reason why people still eat out rather than uh, phoning the delivery companies and doing or yes. doing the online ordering um, so that they have food from a restaurant rather than in a restaurant, maybe that will save service industry jobs that you can't have the, f- the selfie moment is, is better in the restaurant. Yes. Um, wow. So, so you, you are, you've been concerned about the, the future of the, the actual bricks and mortar restaurant. Well, it just seems to me and, you know, that I went through all the kind of what are the trends for the new year and people are doing all these same sort of stupid, stupid, the, the new trend will be um, bugs in, mm. in food, the new trend will be whatever. Um, but actually looking at the people that I know, increasingly they order, they, they go online and they order in. So it is food from a restaurant rather than in a restaurant. And that... So that what you've got is the restaurant is almost now like the shop front. 
Um, it, it's it not. Was, um, it's not a space that we actually go and do a social mm. thing where we sit around people we don't necessarily know, where we have to be polite to the waiter, where where we have these sort of social interactions that I think are quite good for us. And and what it means for real talent, real talent. Like I think was it Lafayette? Was it Lafayette that was down the road, uh, that French restaurant in in Rivonia Road, right next to Harley Davidson that shut down? That was around for years and Le years. Canard, Le Canard, yes, Le Canard. Yeah. Of course, it was Le Canard, which, which for me, it was a shock, an absolute shock. What they closed when they closed their mm. doors and said, "We'll serve you in your homes." But that was the future, wasn't it? I know, I know. And so often with this sort of online ordering, what people are doing is this terrible thing where they're ordering the curry from restaurant A and, and the mix, vegetables. Oh. From it. And you think, but <laughs> what a chef does is a skilled curating experience, mm. you know, that they're balancing things, that they are introducing you to flavor combinations that you might not find on your own, mm. that it's that they've put such a lot of efforts gone into things like the wine list mm. and you know it just it's, it's a completely different experience and I'm not saying there aren't moments when we want to sit in our underpants on the sofa and with a box set and order in but if what we do is kill restaurants essentially so yep. that that all we have is that I think that would be a real shame um, I, I must be honest I've been quite anxious about some of my favorite chefs <laughs> who who every now and then you think I hope I hope they're going to be fine until the next year and the mm, next year mm. Um, we have spoken about, I mean, I was thrilled when David Hicks opened Accent mm, because mm. I thought, okay, I think I think he's onto a formula mm, here. It's mm. working, the fact that he's opening a second restaurant. Um, I didn't know how to feel about um, who moved to the colony. Was it the colony? No, Bluebird, uh, very recently. It Do you w- mean Michelle Morin? Michelle. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, my heart sank mm. um, and skipped a beat. Uh I, I went past the other day and I wasn't sure whether there uh, I mean, there are a couple of restaurants and, and chefs that I think I am very, very concerned about their future. I was thrilled to know that maybe the signature was doing well. I had a quick chat with Desmond. He says, no, we're doing well. But he kept saying touch wood because when mm. I look around me, it's it's not that mm. great. So mm. I'm I'm a bit worried. I mean, I don't know. Look, I think there's a whole range of things happening and any chef that is in that is still in business at the moment as a chef patron, so they own their own restaurant, mm. they're paying their school mm. fees on mm. that money, etc. You know, those people are superheroes that, yep. that they have toughed it out through the most astonishingly difficult times and through times when people are increasingly cocooning. You know, the world for a range of reasons feels like a scary place and in that situation people, they don't go out as much and... You you know, that, that we'll all be terribly sorry. We have these restaurants that we imagine we go to all the time because we go there once a year on our birthdays or to celebrate true. an anniversary. Yeah. And then we're surprised when they're closed. They're down, you think, yeah. but you only went there once a year. That How are people supposed to pay for, for their school fees and, you know, their lives on that? So... I think we so, we need to be aware that restaurants are businesses and that and that they are are artistically important to us who we are. Is there a compromise? Is there something you know somewhere in the middle where we say maybe maybe the bricks and mortar are no longer a thing. Maybe it's how you deliver the food. Maybe I still want to have that wonderful meal. I may yeah. have it at home. 
but maybe just maybe delivered in a fancy pa- I don't I know. I think that's different. I think that, you know, obviously this is a conversation for lucky rich people that that there are vast numbers of people who are simply trying to find enough food and whose children are going to bed hungry every day and that's a whole other conversation, but you know, in terms of uh a kind of national cultural conversation. Food is important. Food, we are what we eat and that we need to be supporting our chefs and not just sort of treating them as though they are glorified takeaways. That what a chef does is an artistic endeavour and we we ought to be valuing that. However, it's, it's I mean, I'm just thinking now, it's either that or a, a completely dead industry. So is there a way in which we can support them and maybe the cost will come down. I don't know. I mean, is it possible? Look, as I say, I think the people who are still in business mm. are absolute superheroes. Mm. And I think that that the people that are, the businesses that are going to fail have failed. Yeah. You know, I think that these are the superheroes and that, that we need to be, you know, that I, my son's school has, there's a teacher who has a t-shirt that says, I teach preschool, what's your superpower? It's like, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a running, chef patron, what's your superpower? running a restaurant. Yeah, yeah exactly. Restaurant. Um, okay, it's a sobering conversation and yeah, I, I am concerned every year, every single year we have another one of those, we assign moment where we've lost another one. You we've think, oh, uh, but what happened? But but I always go there no, on my true. birthday and true. A, actually it was three years it ago. Was once. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was once. Yeah. So what what's on your list of the next year's flavour of the year? Well, the good news um, for those of us that find it so difficult to sort of, you know, you run as fast as you can to try and like keep up with what the fashionistas say is trendy food this season is that um, the absolute sort of most trendy trends um, food design studio people in London are called Bompers and Par. Mm-hmm. Now, they started off as people who made designer jellies. You know those things like that used wow. to be in trifle and children's but They make jellies of like St Paul's Cathedral and but at some point along the way that the jelly people and the jellies were magnificent <laughs> um, became trends analysts um, and they now run this thing called a food design studio in mm-hmm. London and they produced a, a report mm. about a month ago called The Imminent Future of Food mm. and they say in 2019 and this is a direct quote that Africa is the new Asia so that Asian food and the excitement around those Mm. flavors and ingredients will fade in favor of Africa um, because they say that um, and they're right that the multiple diverse food genres within Africa are the the quote is they are the last food culture left to be adopted adapted and commercialized so this is a set of great ancient ingredients cooking methods food genres hospitality styles that haven't yet been bastardized and put on the world stage the question is Um, should that make me nervous it's like and you know on the one hand, when we think, oh, good. So we're like, we're hip this season. It was kimchi last season and now it's us. And on the other hand, you think, well, actually, I'm not sure I want to be adopted, adapted and commercialized. That that these are kind of cultural expressions mm. of a, a very diverse range of African cultures. Mm. And 
if anybody's going to adopt, adapt and commercialize, that ought to be coming from within. Mm -hmm. So I think what we need to do is there are a lot of chefs who mm -hmm. are in of African chefs, both in South Africa and mm -hmm. in other parts of Africa and internationally, that there's a magnificent man in New York called Pierre Chiam, mm -hmm. who's a Senegalese chef who who works partly in, in Nigeria and partly in New York. Um, and they are engaging with what they call new African cuisine, mm. which is saying, how do we take these ancient ingredients and put them into a restaurant context and mm. into a modern context? Mm. And that it needs to be African chefs who are curating that process rather than just having somebody in London kind of, I don't know, pick up baobab mm. and turn it into a cocktail that's, mm. that's, that's trendy this season and then goes away again. Yeah. Um, so we need to be supporting people like, for instance, the Sechong people, mm. uh, like Tracy Nelwamondo from Modern Traditions, mm. Coca Reinhardt, Corbus mm. uh, van der Merwe in part of Norster. There's a whole range of people mm. who are engaging with what does it mean to be a modern African chef mm. um, who's steeped in that tradition. Mm. Um, so that the appropriation is, is not quite... Well, so that what what there is is we manage is, it. Is, so we manage it. We manage it. Is engaged because food culture is not static. Nobody says that that how people were cooking in the sixteenth century yeah, has yeah. to be the way people are yeah. cooking now. Um, but it does need to have an authenticity mm. that. You know, we all know Frenchmen make the best French food. So why is it that we are saying that it's Ortelengi is all over the Guardian in in England, mm. um, in sort of making you know, very nice bastardized versions of East African food. Now, he's a very good chef and he did exactly the same with Palestinian food, you know, he's sort of appropriated all of that. Um, that'll get the phones ringing. Um, but, um, you know, that actually those great ancient East African flavors, East African chefs need to be at least a part of that mm, process. Mm. Fascinating conversation. I think maybe we should focus a little bit more on that next year. And we're we, going to, we yes, because it's going to be so those, delicious. Feature more of those people who are doing something interesting with our food. Yes, let's do that. Thank you. Well, it's been wonderful you. having you Pleasure. this year, 2018. Can you believe it? It's the end. Yeah, I'm quite relieved, ah! don't, you, don't you think? <laughs> and the Trapeda, that conversation will be available as a podcast.